You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. What's up, football enthusiasts? It's 9 o'clock on a Saturday night, and I'm sitting here in the booth remembering that I'm supposed to do this show much earlier in the day. But even with a game starting in less than 12 hours from right now, we're still going to do the Pick'em Show. For all five of you listeners out there that really are hardcore fans of this show, I'm going to make sure that I do it. So we've got the Broncos, Lions, Niners and the Jags all on bye weeks. And of course, we kick it off with a recap of Thursday as the Steelers beat the Titans in Pittsburgh. You know, I gotta say, this music never gets old. I love it. Every time I hear it come on, I'm like, this is my football music. It's really not. Anybody can go and buy it, but I'm going to pretend it's mine because it is. At least a small piece of it. But anyway, like I said, it's late on a Saturday night. You know, there's not a lot of time to even listen to this episode if you wanted to, but I'm going to make sure that I put it out there just so that there is a track record of my success or my failure. And this past week was pretty successful. I ended up going 14-2. and two. If you listen to the show, you would have gone 13-3 and three on my picks. I accidentally picked New Orleans to win on my picks, even though I said the Colts are going to win on the show. But still, 13-3 and three is pretty darn good. I think I went 10-6 and six against the spread. I still... That said, I did start this week 1-0 again as I picked the Steelers to win over the Titans at home. And let's get into it. After review, the result of the play is first and 15. That's right. Thursday Night Football started week nine for us as the Titans and their rookie quarterback, Will Levis, went into Pittsburgh and had the lead at one point and ultimately ended up losing on a turnover late in the game. But realistically, Pittsburgh put together a they're two good drives in the game at the beginning and at the end and it was a weird game because Pittsburgh went down the field and scored right away which they never do so they clearly worked on some things they got the kind of play calls they want they ran the ball really well against a team that typically has a good run defense so it was a little surprising to see but they succeeded they scored Steelers are five and three on the season for a reason and I think in watching the first drive of the Titans like, it was really hard to watch because, man, they converted a lot of first downs on penalties. And they their whole drive was penalties, basically. I think the Steelers had four penalties on the drive. And I really hate these five-yard penalties that are automatic first downs on third and long. Because, like, I, I understand the reason for it, right? Because you don't want a defensive player holding and getting away with uh, a stop on a third and eight, for example, like that happened on this drive, if I'm remembering correctly. So you get a third and eight, and then you get a rookie corner lined up against Andre Hopkins. And he jumps a little early, uh, touches him pre-snap. So that's encroachment right there. Okay, five-yard procedural penalty should be first down or not first down, it should be third and three at that point. For some reason, the play keeps going on. They then flag the same player, which is Porter, for illegal use of hands to the face, which, as soon as he jumps across the line before the snap and touches Hopkins, like, that, the play should be over right there. So, I don't know how that gets extended. Gives Tennessee an automatic first down. There was a, I would say, two of the penalties on that drive unfortunately for the Steelers defense were well enforced. I think this one on Hopkins was loosely 
enforced. And there was another one on this drive where I was just like, eh, you could have really let that go. I think it was also like a holding call uh, over the middle on a third down as well. And it, I think they called Patrick Peterson on the hold on it. And like, to me, it was just good veteran defense. Like he's got the arm around the waist, but he's not affecting the stride or the positioning or anything of the player. So to throw that flag there on a guy like Peterson w without him like manipulating the other player's body is a little weird, but you know, whatever. Titans go down and they end up making it 7-3. They don't really score out of that. And then you get into uh, the drives after that. And of course the Steelers offense is poor. I think they're the worst offense going into week nine in terms of total yardage and their yards per play isn't very good either. So you're putting an offense that doesn't really score, you know, back out on the field. They go three and out twice, uh, but their defense is pretty good. And they were able to hold the Titans uh, to a punt as well. And eventually, you know, you punt enough, you give the other team some opportunities and Derrick Henry ends up burning you. They go up 10-7, Steelers tie it at 10 before the half. Uh, the Titans work their way down, kick a field goal at the end of the half to go up 13-10. And because the Steelers, they opted to take the ball first to really like show the, the fans and the audience at home, I think that they're aware of their offensive struggles and they want to put the burden of their success on the offense more than the defense. And during the broadcast, they mentioned that Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator for Pittsburgh, was down on the sidelines, which he was, and he's calling the plays from down there now instead of up in the booth, which is maybe giving him a different feel for, like, rhythm, body language, things like that, spacing. I don't know, but it seemed to work out a little bit better for them on the early drive, but, I mean, ultimately, they only scored 20 points in this game, so it wasn't uh, anything exceptional here. And, you know, they took a big risk by taking the ball first, but Tennessee scoring at the end of the half, then getting the ball back, really, you know, this could have been a 10-point game, could have been at least a six-point game to start the second half. But they come and they three and out the Titans. And if I'm Mike Tomlin going into the locker room at, at halftime, the one thing I'm telling my defense is you have to stop committing penalties and bailing this offense out. You absolutely cannot let them stay on the field just with penalties. And the penalty yardage wasn't like insane, but they had 10 penalties for 80 yards. So that's a lot. And you look at the Titans, they had seven penalties for 51 yards. So it's like they had three less penalties, 30 yet less yards. That ends up making a difference in a game like this. And fortunately for the Steelers, they were able to get away from a lot of those penalties in the second half. They tie the game with a field goal, and then it becomes a field goal contest. And that's the game that I sort of thought it was going to be. I don't know if you follow uh, me on Twitter at Nick Scheisty or uh, Scheist Podcast, where I post a lot of this football stuff. But I said this is a good spot for Tennessee to sneak out a win because with Levis under center, Pittsburgh doesn't really know like what kind of team to prepare for. They don't have a lot of game footage on him. They see him last week. They just have to trust that their defense is good enough to do the job. And realistically, like TJ Watt got held a lot in this game, right? Uh, and so you're you're sort of allowing a team with like an inferior offensive line to get an unfair pass block advantage against Watt. And they flagged Watt for a roughing the passer on that first drive, I think as well, that extended the drive for Tennessee. So the referees told the Pittsburgh defense pretty early on that we're going to be very strict with you in this game, and you're not going to get away with even the slightest infraction, where, you know, later in the game when I saw how it was officiated, I was like, okay, maybe even the referees saw at halftime that they were a little bit uh, overboard on Pittsburgh and they seemed to calm down or at least they had some makeup calls in the second half where I'm like, yeah, even as a neutral observer that doesn't really have anything riding on this game, I felt like the referees were favoring the Titans substantially in the first half, but not to the point where like the Steelers weren't in the game, obviously. So anyway, they, they start exchanging field goals in the second half, and that's the game that I thought it was going to be. And on Twitter, I had said that I feel like this is a good spot for the Titans to pull the upset. However, 
this is a rookie quarterback going on the road to play the Steelers defense. And this Steelers defense has just held the Jags to 20 points. And the Jags have a way more dynamic and capable offense than this Titans team does. And the Steelers have wins over the likes of the Ravens, you know. And so the Steelers, like, they have some good quality wins, like whether or not uh, you think they're a good team or if their record is really reflective of how good they are, like whether or not they get lucky, whatever. They still have good wins. They came back against the Rams and beat them last week too. So I figured that the Steelers' defense was going to give them chances to win this game and that eventually T.J. Watt was going to make a play. And that's kind of what happened, but a lot of it was uh, Highsmith on the other side as well. So in a field goal game in Pittsburgh, especially because of the way the wind circulates in one end of the stadium, that's something that like Chris Boswell is especially adept at navigating. And a lot of kickers that don't know the stadium that well uh, struggle. And I mean, Nick Folk, very good kicker, high school classmate of mine, oddly enough. Uh, he's beaten my Buffalo Bills with a field goal as well, which is also very annoying. But nonetheless, Nick is a fantastic NFL kicker. He's had a really good career. Uh, he's one of the best kickers in the league still in his 16th season. So mad props to Nick Folk. And he had a great game here. He put them up 16-13. And then the Steelers, when they needed it most, finally found a drive to put together. And when they went up 20-16... to and then they turned Tennessee over on downs around midfield, which with two minutes left, and I think they had all their timeouts, they might as well have just uh, punted there from midfield and coffin cornered them. Uh, but the Steelers, you know, kind of predictably run the ball, try and burn the clock. Uh, I don't even think they really tried for a first down. No, they, they ran three runs. They, didn't, they went from 2.06 on the clock to 1.44 at the time uh, that Harvin punted. So he really didn't take any time off the clock. You have to be a little bit more aggressive there. I know they wanted to force the Titans to use all their timeouts, and they did. And me personally, I am not a fan of coaches who call timeouts for the offense or coaches, excuse me, I need to rephrase that. It sounds a little weird. I don't like coaches calling timeouts when their team is on defense and the timeout benefits the offense. So Tennessee has no timeouts here, and they're in no huddle. And they go second and 18. Levis completes a pass uh, for 11 yards. And they're in no huddle, and they're in shotgun. And they go to third and seven. And Pittsburgh calls a timeout there. Like, I know you want to get your best possible defense on the field. You're you're trying to, you know, help things in terms of uh, strategy and getting the right play call in. And I know your defense is tired. But at the same time, like, this team is in hurry up mode and they're struggling like it's third and long too you need to trust your defense there because if they don't convert that third and long uh which they don't by the way uh then they're faced with a fourth down but what happens on fourth and seven at the tennessee 30 defensive holding on porter five yards enforced that was a soft penalty in my opinion and also an automatic first down because the defensive holding so on a fourth and seven like that's another play where i feel like the tennessee offense got bailed out by a call and you know a big part of it is pittsburgh is responsible for their own defensive strategy and they want to be aggressive and they weren't allowed to be aggressive so that's a really big call in that situation to extend the drive. And I remember watching it, and that was on Hopkins too. And this maybe this is the one that I'm thinking of where I was like, eh, it's kind of soft there. But, you know, you get him into a position where you almost had him off the field. And, you know, they had to go for it when it was going to be fourth down anyway. But I just never like calling a timeout when your uh, opponent is the one who's like more desperate for the clock. Like, let that clock grind on them. Don't don't allow them to to have the benefit of uh, the clock being stopped there but anyway they convert that they go down the field 
Levis should have thrown a couple interceptions on this drive. I think one one got dropped along the sideline, another one got dropped in the end zone, and then eventually he sort of got baited into the same zone concept, and it was Quan Alexander that picked him off uh, at the it was like at the goal line, and then he went in for the touchback. So not not really even a bad game from Levis, but a learning curve, learning experience type of game. You got a lot out of Henry, to be honest, and it was the kind of game where I knew it was going to be close. I picked the Titans to cover the three because I figured that this was going to be like a very field, hole, field goal heavy game, which it was. Uh, I don't think there was a two-point conversion in this game that skewed things, so I figured like Pittsburgh probably wins a field goal type of defensive game here. I took the under 36 and a half and they got the 36. So I was like super nervous on that for a while too, but this was just a game where I felt like Pittsburgh is more experienced, they're at home. The only thing that the Titans maybe do better is run the ball, and I don't think they really did that in this game at all. So it was like the one advantage that they maybe had they didn't uh, really dominate in, and you know, it ultimately was Will Levis who was the uh, more efficient well i don't know that's maybe not the right word but definitely the the better passer of the two i mean 22 of 39 for 262 with a pick got sacked four times qbr is not good but Pickett was 19 of 30 not really great either you know averaging only 5.3 he had the one touchdown narrowly missed the touchdown but i would say that that's more uh pickens fault than his we got deonta johnson finally getting a touchdown which was a really nice moment and then nobody else had more than three catches and the second highest uh, leading receiver on the team was jalen warren the running back who had three catches so not really good ball distribution uh by pickett at all where at least on the other side you had you know a couple guys with four a couple guys with three so like levis looked like the more capable quarterback already he just got lured into a mistake and got that taken advantage of by uh, a, a defense that loves to take the ball away. So it is what it is. I start the week 1-0 in a pretty good spot. Uh, everybody else, well, this was more of a split game. I think it was like 4-2 across our league. So I'm getting there. I'm back in second place. It's been a grind, but after a really strong week, I'm looking to get into another strong week. So let's get after it. Two minutes to win it. That's right, it's two-minute drill time, where we put two minutes on the clock, we go through all the games on deck, and we see how well I can predict these games. And for most of the season, it hasn't been great, but last week was really good, and I'm going to try to take that momentum into this week. And we start with the Dolphins on the road at the Chiefs, kind of also on the road in Germany. Now, this is a weird one because both the Chiefs and the Dolphins are 6-2. and two. They both kind of lose to teams that have winning records. You know, the Dolphins lost to the Eagles and to the Bills. Uh, the Chiefs lost to the Broncos and the Lions in Week 1. So their season's been bookended by losses. But the loss to Denver, 24-9. I know it's at Denver. I know, like, the altitude is the issue and everything, but... Still, that's not a game that they're supposed to lose. And I know they definitely want to have a bounce back moment here. Miami lost to Philly and then rebounded with the win over New England. So it's a game that they're supposed to win. But this is the, if nothing else, it's the Tyreek Hill revenge game. He's got 61 catches, 1,000 yards, and 8 touchdowns through 8 weeks. I mean, think about that. He's on pace for 122 catches at the least. Well, that's not true. There's 17 games this season, so it's going to be a little bit better than that. But he's on pace for over 120 catches, over 2,000 yards, and 16 touchdowns. I don't think he keeps that pace because the good teams will find a way to remove him from the equation for the most part uh, and not let him have those kind of, like, monster games. But, like, Tyreek is still a really exciting player to watch despite maybe not being a, a great person to watch on the field. Uh, Casey's favored by point and a half over under 50 and a half dolphins don't have a great defense uh so i'm gonna take the over 50 and a half and i think because of the explosiveness of the miami offense and losing to some good teams with good ground games 
this might be the opportunity where they they finally crack the code against a good team. I don't want them to win because they're in the same division as the Bills, uh, but I don't want the Chiefs to win either because then they're holding on to, you know, the keys to the AFC. You got to go into Arrowhead at the end of the year. Um, so I'm torn in terms of like what my heart actually wants. I feel like this is not a home game for the Chiefs, though. And it's a really good spot for Miami's speed to make a big difference here. Because if everybody's traveling and everybody's a little sleepy and like I saw it in the Bills game when they went to London, like the jet lag is real. And the one thing that will translate is speed. And one thing that the Dolphins have a lot of is freaking speed. The Dolphins also have a lot of injuries with Braxton Berrios questionable, uh, Durham Smythe tight end questionable, Taron Armstead questionable, Connor Williams questionable, Robert Hunt out. So their offensive line is going to be asked to do quite a lot in this game. Xavier Howard also questionable. Uh, I just, I don't know. With both of these teams sort of like beating up on bad teams and clearly having talent on both sides, this, this is a tough game, but I like the talent in the skill positions outside of tight end a little bit better overall in Miami. I think the receiving core is going to pose a lot of problems for uh, this secondary of the Chiefs. So I'm going to go with the Dolphins to win and cover the point and a half, and hopefully it's over 50 and a half because that'd be fun for the fans in Germany. Next up, we've got the Vikings who are 4-4. Four and four. Overall, coming off a big win, they're 3-1 on the road, surprisingly, and they're going to play the Falcons, who are 4-4 and also, who are 3-1 at home. Uh, but this is going to be done without Kirk Cousins, who tore his Achilles. I don't know what the fuck is going on, but this is the year of torn Achilles. He's the fifth guy that I can think of off the top of my head who has torn his Achilles. Uh, and this is also a coin toss kind of game, according to the ESPN matchup predictor. So to see Atlanta favored by four is a lot. I understand that because of the injury to Cousins, that makes a big difference. Uh, I don't think Justin Jefferson is ready to come back for this one. So it's hard to, you know, bank on that. He's still on IR. But you've got Jordan Addison, who's played well. Osborne, who's part of that system. You know, Hawkinson. So they've got options. But I don't know, like, Jaron Hall, the rookie... I don't know what they're going to do with him. They brought in Joshua Dobbs, so they obviously don't believe that much in Hall. But they also have Nick Mullins on IR, so they're super thin at quarterback. So they don't really have a choice. But I think Dobbs is probably the better player of the two. He's more proven. Uh, he's at least the better fantasy option from what we've seen so far. So I don't know. Minnesota's 4-4. Four and four. Like, Do they want to give up on the season? Do they want to try to win here? Uh, these are like legitimate questions that they need to figure out what they want to do here and if they win and they go to five and four then like they're in it but you look across the field and you got taylor heineke on the falcons all of a sudden and drake london's out so that should be good for kyle pitts i hope but i don't know i think heineke being in the offense he is a gunslinger type of quarterback he's not like a super powerful arm or anything but he loves to throw the football so i think that's better for all the receiving options uh probably see a lot of two tight end sets out of atlanta this is a game where if Kirk Cousins were healthy, I think the Vikings would be favored or at least they wouldn't be dogged by four points over under 37 and a half. I'm still going to go over. They're playing in a the dome. They're having fun. I have to go with Atlanta here. And you know what? I don't even dislike Atlanta, but they burned me so many times in the past, but I think due to circumstances and their defense being decent and not knowing what Jaron Hall is going to bring to the table, I think four points is fair. I think we just saw this scenario play out in the Steelers-Titans game. So rookie quarterback on the road playing a pretty decent defense. Four points makes sense. Uh, so does under 37 and a half, but that means we're going over because my gut says otherwise. So, all right, Falcons cover the four at home and over 37 and a half. Next up, it is the Browns at home taking on the Cardinals, who are one and seven, winless on the road. So, tough spot for Arizona, who just traded away their quarterback as well. Uh, I d who are they going with? They, uh, who is this Toon character that uh, I'm just seeing right now? Clayton Toon. All right, 
he's going to get his first go-round against a pretty good Cleveland defense uh, that, you know, they have a tendency to give up some points here and there, but they stay aggressive, and Miles Garrett's still one of the best defensive players in the league, and he can be a complete headache for you. Cleveland by 12.5 just seems like a gigantic number, and maybe it's not, um, but kind of feels that way. I think Arizona is a tough out. They have a tendency to stay in games, but that was with Dobbs. So now looking at Cleveland, and I, don't, I, I guess Deshaun Watson's back for this one. I don't know. 12 and a half still seems like a lot, uh, especially in the NFL. But because the Cardinals are floating some quarterback who's got one career pass for four yards... That's not the guy you want helming uh, your offense, really, I don't think, against Cleveland. But the trading away of Dobbs just tells me that, you know, they're just waiting for Kyler to get back if he's ever going to get back. Uh, I don't know. This is this is an ugly game to try to bet because of that point spread. Like, Cleveland should cover 12.5, and, and they should dominate defensively. That's just a huge point spread, and their offense has not been super reliable. But you got DeMarcado's out as well for Arizona. So their top running back option, well, maybe, I don't know. All right, we'll go with Cleveland by 12.5 at home, and we'll say under 38.5 in this case. Next up, we've got the Rams, 3-5 and five on the road, uh, where they're 2-2 two and two on the road. They're going to Green Bay, who's 2-5. and five. They're 1-2 and two at home, which is super rare for the Packers, but... That's because they're not very good. Uh, and I don't know that the Rams are either, especially with Stafford out. Plus, now Puka Nakua is questionable. He'll probably play. Stafford's thumb, I don't know. He says he's going to play, but watching what happened, like he's throwing the ball, he lets it go. His thumb goes flying into the face mask of one of the defenders. And then it looks like he's trying to either like pop it back into place or set the bone after that. So his thumb is jacked up. Uh, so don't let the day-to-day status fool you. But if you're go- if you're gonna give me Jordan Love and my options are Jordan Love and Brett Ripien, I am torn because I've seen the Packers suck this season, which you know bring- brings me a little bit of Schadenfreude. But the Rams sucking uh, has been up and down because them sort of surprising people and being decent was a good story. And now that that's not the case, it's a little weird. But they're going to be without Ernest Jones. Stafford, he's still listed as questionable. I don't think he plays. That thumb, if he plays, he doesn't play well. It's hard to, it's his throwing hand too. So what's he going to do? He's going to hand the ball off a bunch? Um, but that it's not designated yet, so they're probably not going to do it until tomorrow morning. Uh, Ripian at least has been, I think, in the offense a little bit before, so that helps. Uh, or maybe he was, he might have been playing for the Broncos. I don't even know. That's that's who Brett Ripian is. I know he's played. I've seen him play. I don't even remember what team. It was forgettable. So it's going to be rely on Daryl Henderson, rely on Cooper Cup as much as you can, but without Stafford in there, I don't know how much you can do those things. And then you go to Green Bay, and it's like, okay, they're kind of healthy. Bakhtiari's still on IR, where he spent most of the last few years, so... I really don't know who I ultimately want to pick in this game. I just look at the opponents and, you know, the Packers lose to Minnesota, Denver, Las Vegas, and Detroit. So one, like, good team amongst the bunch, two lower-level teams, one mid-level team, uh, and at least the Rams, they lost to Dallas, they lost to Pittsburgh, they lost to Philly, but they beat the Colts, they beat Arizona. I think the Rams are the better coached team right now. Uh, I think the Rams are probably even the more talented team, but it's all going to come down to whether or not the quarterback is going to play. But you know what? I need something somewhere. Green Bay's favored by three and a half here. I'm going to take the Rams defense to win this game for them under 37 and a half, and the Rams cover that three and a half. And next up, we get the Washington Commanders who have cleaned house defensively. So I guess it's going to be throw the ball 50 times a game for Sam Howell from here on out. But they're on the road 
where they're 2-2 two and two on the year, and they're going into New England where it's not easy to win. They're 2-6. and 1-3 and three at home. That's not good. But it's, you know, it's still Belichick. He did get a win over the Bills, but, you know, that's all bookended by a bunch of losses, including Dallas kicking their ass, New Orleans kicking their ass. Vegas, not so much. They beat the Bills. Miami beats them by two scores. Commander's not much better on the other side. It, but at least they lost to Philly and were competitive against a good team. They only scored seven against the Giants. That's pathetic. They beat Atlanta, though, in a game that they were supposed to win, but they get stomped out by Chicago 40-20. to So who is this Commander's team? I don't know. But Curtis Samuel's out, so I got to make sure I pay attention to that when I set my lineups because he's been a really nice like third receiver for them. I hope that means we're going to get more Brian Robinson, but I doubt it because they don't want to help me. And overall, you know, Washington just traded away Sweat and Chase Young, Montez Sweat and Chase Young. So they cleaned house along what was one of their better weapons. But the way their defense, you know, hemorrhages points, I could see they don't want to pay those salaries coming up. So they move on. And, you know, without that kind of defense, it's really going to be interesting but they do still have Deron Payne they still have Jonathan Allen in the middle they still got F.A. Obata uh James Smith Williams the defense still not bad uh Kendall Fuller Cameron Curl St. Juiced the defense is not bad so maybe they think they can afford to to make some of those concessions uh clear up some cap room for the future but I'm looking at the Patriots and they're notoriously questionable uh injury wise let's see take a guess how many Patriots are currently listed as questionable on their injury report. I'll give you a second as I count this up because they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys listed as questionable. They also have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 11, 12 players that are on injured reserve right now. Uh, And J.C. Jackson, who they traded the Chargers to get back, isn't even a starting corner for them. So a guy that became a star, got a huge paycheck to leave last season, uh, is back and not not even the top of his own position on this team. So the Patriots are a damn mess. Uh, I will never cheer for the Patriots. Uh, They are favored at home. But I'm going to take Washington. I think I think with the defensive concessions they made, they're just going to throw caution and win and be aggressive here. And this is a good spot for the Patriots defense to really, like, make Howell make some mistakes. Patriots probably are even going to win this game because I'm picking against them. But I'm going to take Washington on the road for some reason uh, at plus three. And we'll say over 40 and a half. Next on deck, we've got the Chicago Bears, who are two and six on the season, one and three on the road. They're going to New Orleans, who's four and four on the season, one and two at home. And coming off a win that they needed, where they scored a lot of points against a defense that gives up a lot of points. They were in a close game with a good Jacksonville team. They probably shouldn't have lost to Houston. I don't know how healthy. Derek Carr is. Uh, it looks like his shoulder's feeling better, though. And it looks like his uh, groin injury, whatever that was, is doing a little bit better. But then, you know, Terrell Smith, Jaquan Brisker, Tremaine Edmonds, Nate Davis, all out for the Bears. Those are bad injuries, especially on the road. Um, I don't know if Fields is going to play here. He's still doubtful. Tyson Bajant did not look great last week. So the idea that he's just going to be like next man up for this team and that he was going to take Justin Fields job like you played one of the worst passing defenses in football, the worst passing defense statistically in football, and uh, you got picked twice with no touchdowns. So going up against a much better pass defense in New Orleans is not a good recipe. Uh, So I got to go with the Saints here. Nine and a half is a lot though uh but 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 it's a spot where at home 
They're starting to get healthy. Uh, they're going up a pretty against a pretty bad defense in their own right in uh, the Bears, who have given up 218 points on the season. That's that's quite a few. <laughs> and uh, you know they don't they score they scored both these teams scored 171, but uh, the Saints have given up what is that roughly 65 70 fewer points on the year like think about that 70 fewer points i've got to take the saints at home here and i think bajent is going to struggle against a good defense i will take the saints by nine and a half i shouldn't but i will and uh over 41 and a half up next we get a very intriguing game as the seahawks who are only 30 percent on the espn matchup predictor Go to Baltimore to take on the 6-2 Ravens, who are 2-1 at home. They've played eight games, and only three of them have been at home so far. So, you know, have run, will travel. That helps Baltimore a lot. And both these teams got some good wins. They both have some common wins as well, as they've both beaten Cleveland. They've both beaten Arizona. So... They've been swimming in similar circles uh, for a little bit here. And we've got a pretty even statistical matchup between these two quarterbacks as, you know, Geno's thrown for 16-45, Lamar thrown for 17-67. Both of them have nine touchdowns. Geno's got six picks to Lamar's three. You've got Walker for Seattle with 117 carries for 516 and six touchdowns. Gus has 105 for 426 and five touchdowns. Receiving-wise, Metcalf has 27 for 404, two teeters. Zay Flowers has 44 for 461 and a touchdown. But really, it's going to be like the Mark Andrews show. So I'm surprised that Flowers is even their leading receiver at all. Baltimore favored by six here. I do not like. So I will definitely take Seattle to cover here uh both of these teams have surprisingly good defenses too um they both have the fewest amount of points given up in their respective divisions uh baltimore is the highest scoring team in the division where seattle is the third highest scoring team in their own division i really liked the old layout of this where they used to show me more statistical information on this particular page and they don't do that anymore for some reason they don't want to show me the data i don't know espn you fucked up if you're listening to this which you're not your display used to be way more useful now it's not um i can see why baltimore is favored they're obviously at home where they have a winning record they're still the ravens they're still a good team I don't know how good they are, though. I know who Seattle is for sure. Seattle is basically the same team week in and week out. And, you know, Baltimore, they struggled more than they should have with Arizona, but they beat the brakes off of Detroit. They struggled more than they should have with Tennessee. They lost to Pittsburgh. Uh, they did beat Cleveland with Cleveland's backup quarterback. Um, so, I don't know. It's going to be 56 outside. Not bad game weather. I will take the over because of the style of these two offenses uh but baltimore gets after the quarterback i'm pretty sure they lead the league in sacks which will probably be the difference here so i'll take baltimore at home in a close game though where justin tigger justin tucker makes a difference and over 44 and a half seattle covers the six though up next, we've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are 3-4, and 2-1 and one on the road. They're going to Houston to play the Texans, who just lost to the winless Panthers last week. And somehow, this is a 50-50 game, according to ESPN. Uh, we've got the Texans favored by three. Don't like it. Uh, I look at all of the weaponry in terms of the quarterback position, the defense, the run game, the receivers. I mean, Nico Collins has more yards than Mike Evans, but, I mean, you got Mike Evans, you got Godwin here. Uh, their run game is not great, but 
it's decent when they sort of utilize the uh, the flat option, the the dump out pass to the receiver when they run screens and stuff, and they get white in some space. Mayfield and Stroud, you know, Stroud's been good. He's been really good. He's got nine touchdowns and a pick. He he was pretty good every game until last week where they didn't really score. Uh, I got to go with Tampa here. You know, minus three on the road in the dome. As as long as they don't make mistakes, uh, I feel that, like, their defense is just way better than Houston's and maybe is really not, like, way better. They've both given up the same amount of points, but... I feel like the defensive speed for Tampa is a big advantage. And like Vita Vea being questionable sucks for their defense. Uh, I mean, they could put Golston in the middle, but Logan Hall's out, so Golston's gonna be playing there. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting, but I think I have to side with Tampa and Baker Mayfield here. I know Houston has been good. They've beaten some good teams, but Robert Woods is out. Damian Pierce is out. I mean, I love Devin Singletary. He's a good running back. He might even take Pierce's job as the starter if they really want to do that. Uh, Sheldon Rankin is questionable for them. So it's just down to Nico Collins, Noah Brown, John Mechie, and C.J. Stroud. So I'm going to say the defensive speed of the Bucks ends up making the difference. They win. They cover the three points. And we're going to have a game that is under 39 and a half. Then we get the Colts on the road at the Panthers, who picked up their first win. And I don't know what to make of this Colts team. I try. Uh, I, I try desperately to know what's going on with this Colts team, but it's tough to say. You know, Downs is questionable. Uh, Braden Smith is out. Zaire Franklin's doubtful. you got uh, two guys in the secondary hurt as well. And Rodney Thomas is questionable. Juju Brents is out. Um, but you still got DeForest Buckner and Quiddy Pay and Samson Ebicam and Shaq Leonard. Um, but their defense gives up a ton of points. And I'm guessing a lot of that comes through the air because that seems to be where they are most vulnerable. And then as I look at Carolina, like Chark is questionable, but I mean, shit, has he really even been on the field for them? So it's going to be Thielen, Chubba, Terrence Marshall. I don't know what's going on with Miles Sanders, but... It's going to be the rookie show. And uh, Carolina's got Von Bell doubtful still. I think he was either out or doubtful last week, too. Donnie Jackson, questionable. This is not a team that I'm super confident in. They won a one-point game against another bad team. I think the Colts are in the same ballpark as Houston, though. I don't think they're that much better. They should win this game, though. They absolutely should be able to just run the ball play defense as best as they can and hopefully Thielen doesn't uh, abuse them but I've got to go with the Colts here they're favored by two and a half on the road I like that Uh, it's not terrible and over under 43 and a half I'm definitely going to take the over uh, because these teams should score on each other but yeah Colts win on the road uh, where they are two and one on the air so maybe they got a chance but maybe they improve to four and five on the road here and then we get the Giants, and is Daniel Jones back? I don't know, but Tyrod Taylor is on IR with uh, that lung injury. So what to make of the Giants now? I don't know. I haven't known all season. They're tough. Waller's out. He's on IR. So, you know, that messes with uh, my fantasy team as well. But it's like Daniel Jones is back. You still got both of your tackles uh, questionable. So we'll see how that holds up. I think they just traded one of their uh, interior D linemen as well, or maybe they tried to get a trade done. I don't remember what I read, but I think they traded somebody. Um, Cleaning house at two and six. Seems like they kind of given up on the season. No, it's going to be really hard to make that uh, jump to the next level at this point. And I don't know. Oh, yeah, they did... uh, Looks like they got Deion Jackson in the trade. I guess they traded to Indy, who is going to try to make a run at it here. And, you know, I don't think the Raiders are a good team either. So what do you do when two bad teams play each other? 
Jimmy G is listed as healthy, but he's not listed as the starter. So it's Aiden O'Connell time, which I hopefully, hopefully that means it's Josh Jacobs time because that'll really help me. But uh, I don't know. Hopefully they're going to throw the ball to Devontae Adams because right now we just all want to see him get the hell out of Vegas. Uh, but it's a game that the Giants should probably lose, but I don't know that they actually will. Graham Gano being on IR hurts them. Darren Waller being on uh, IR really hurts them. So I've got to take Vegas here. Yeah, point and a half, that's fine in this game. I'll take the Raiders and Crosby to beat up on a Giants team that really doesn't know what to do. They haven't even scored 100 points on the air, so... All right, Raiders win. Uh, they cover the point and a half. And let's say under 37 and a half, because I don't think either of these teams are going to score that much. America's Game of the Week gives us the Cowboys and the Eagles, which this should be the Monday or the Sunday night game, because we're getting the Chargers in primetime again on Monday night. Like, ugh. Instead, if we get a 5-2 and two Cowboys team and a 7-1 and one Eagles team relegated to the afternoon game where there's competition, like, this should be a primetime game showdown game both of these games this season should be so the nfl schedule makers you got to fix this uh you got to stop showing us this crappy chargers team in prime time as if they're the epitome of good football but anyway uh we've got the five and two cowboys who are two and two on the road going to philly seven and one three and oh at home i think the loss helped them kind of like reset didn't really give them like a bye week but it helped them in terms of like realizing you're not going to go undefeated. It's a long season. You can't win them all, and you just have to go out there and win the games that you can. And this is a game that they can win. They they do things. This is going to be a good game. I'll say that. Uh, because the Eagles' pass defense, at least from what I remember, they give up a lot of points despite having like a pretty good pass defense. Uh, and both of these teams are pretty healthy too so this is like i think last year when they played Dak was out the first time and then hertz was out the second time so we never really got to see like what this cowboys team looks like against this eagles team so we finally get to see these two teams like play each other at full strength for a change philly's favored by three at home i don't know man like the way the way <laughs> the way that they get forced into competition against washington is frightening because Washington like pushed him to the brink twice that doesn't instill a ton of confidence but when I look at this matchup what I'm looking at I think primarily is rush defense pass defense because both these offenses can get it together when they want but the Eagles give up only 3.8 yards per attempt Dallas only gives up 4.1 but it's the difference between being a top 10 defense and basically the 20th ranked defense. And it's the difference between giving up 65 yards a game rushing, which is best in the NFL right now, uh, versus Dallas, who's giving up uh, 108 yards a game on the ground against a team that likes to run the ball too. Uh, and they're 17th in the league in rush defense. So, you know, if Dallas wants to establish the run to help Dak out, that's gonna be tough sledding in this one but he's woken up they started to throw the ball a little bit better here and then on the inverse of that you got Dallas who's got the number four overall pass defense against the Philadelphia team that really loves to throw the ball but Philly also has a tendency to get up on teams and so teams are just kind of like throwing Dallas has done that too though so you know Philly wants to take advantage of A.J. Brown they want to throw the football for sure but at the same time I think they know how their bread is buttered uh, they like to play power football uh, surprisingly their defense actually you know has the higher pressure rate even though you know statistically the the Cowboys have given up fewer points but I'm looking at like just metrics of pressure like Philadelphia has a higher pressure percentage uh, they have double the amount of total pressures they've got more sacks uh you know so on top of all that they blitz less so they get more pressure and blitz less so that they have a better front four as, as much as people want to rave about micah parsons and this dallas d-line uh the proof is in the pudding for philly so 
it is what it is. Uh, but you look at like they blitzed 87 times. Dallas is blitzed 73 times, but still, it's only 24% compared to 30%. So it's gonna it's gonna be interesting because Philly definitely has some weaknesses uh, that Dallas can exploit, and vice versa. This is a tough, really tough game to call, to be honest. Um, I don't have like a clean read on this. I think Philly at home should have the edge here. And I think them being expected to win definitely plays into Dallas's advantage. But DeAndre Swift has been so good this year. I think you can game plan to get uh, some just run at Parsons. Don't let him use his speed. Force him to like have to play laterally a little bit, not downhill. Hurts uh, has been the better quarterback. Philly's got the better running attack as well, like just the better offense. Like AJ Brown's got 300 more yards receiving than Ceedee Lamb on the season. Swift has outrushed Pollard by 150 yards on the season. Hurts uh, has thrown 500 more yards, three more touchdowns than Dak. So. I mean, obviously all the pressure is on Philly, but, you know, Philly is a good team. Over under 46 and a half, interesting, because both of these teams can score. Both of these teams can also play defense. I'm going to take over 46 and a half, because I think it's competitive between these two teams, uh, and I think the offenses are good enough to not just see a bunch of stalled drives, despite how good the offenses are, uh, or how good the defenses are, so... I'm going to take Philly to win by a field goal at home over 46 and a half on this one. Oh, then we go to Sunday night and we get the Bills and the Bengals. ESPN says the Bills are favored 66% in this matchup. They're 5 and 3, 1 and 2 on the road, going to Cincinnati, who's 4 and 3, 2 and 1 at home. And uh I don't know with this one either. I mean, I really want to say with confidence that the Bills win, but the Bengals play a brand of football that the Bills are vulnerable to. Just it's the, the nature of the beast. It is what it is. So the Bills have to play a really like exceptional game. And that still doesn't guarantee that they're going to win. Uh, but you're looking at a fairly healthy Bills team despite like their big injuries. I mean, Kyir Elam just went on IR as well. Uh, Naheem Hines, he's out, uh, but he's working his way back. Um, obviously, Milano, Daquan Jones, they're out. Dawson Knox is on IR with, I think, like hand surgery or something. Damian Harris, I don't know what the deal was with him ultimately, but him, Justin Shorter. So some like good quality players, but Ty Johnson, Latavius Murray, James Cook at running back. We got Diggs, Davis, Shakir, Kincaid. The offense is what it's supposed to be. Rousseau, Tim Settle, Ed Oliver, Von Miller, you know, Leonard Floyd, Jordan Phillips, Linval Joseph, very nice interior addition there uh, at the second level for the Bills. Smart, smart choice right there. Uh, I don't even know where he came from. I didn't see his name pop up at all during uh, the trade discussion, so I wonder if they just, like, signed him at a free agency. I'd have to look back. That's my best guess. Uh, and then looking over across the board at Cincinnati, you've got... Joe Mixon questionable, but he'll play. And then that's kind of it. Both these teams healthy. This is the rematch of the game that got canceled uh, last season because of what happened to DeMar Hamlin on the field. And there's going to be so much emotion in this game uh, before, during, after. The, you know, there's no way around it. So I just have to hope that the Bills realistically have like a really good sports psychologist that their team has been able to sort of prepare for this, that they took the 10 days off to really like just be a team, appreciate everything that uh, they didn't lose. You know, they lost in the playoffs last year, but to the Cincinnati team nonetheless. And I think, you know, had they lost that regular season game to the Bengals in the same fashion, they would have learned that, okay, this is how we need to play this team, and we're going to be a little bit more prepared for it next time. So that next time is now, and they're going to have that opportunity to be prepared for it. So they've, they've really got no excuse. If the Bills go out there and they lose, they're just they're in trouble against the Bengals, and it's just going to be the way that it is until they figure that part out. But 
The Bills' uh, defense has been better on the season. Their offense has been better on the season. The Bills should win this game. Uh, They're going to have to definitely take into account Joe Mixon, and they're going to have to not just take him into account, but like they have to play physically enough to discourage Mixon from doing what he did last week to the 49ers. And so maybe Cincinnati sort of like blew their wad, so to speak, on that 49ers game. And that's what the Bills are going to have to look at. And, you know, after these 10 days off or whatever it was since the Thursday night game, they they got to bring it. So, you know, since he's favored by two and a half at home, I'll take the Bills to win plus two and a half. Uh, over under a 50 and a half, I'm going to say under because I like both of these defenses. So Bills win, close one, maybe by a field goal. Maybe I'd say less than a touchdown, but maybe more than three. Uh, yeah, go Bills. And last but not least, we have the aforementioned Chargers on the road at the Jets on Monday night football. Uh the Chargers are favored by three and a half against a really damn good defense. This New York team has only given up 129 points on the season. It's the best in the division. Uh, you look at LA's given up 168. So I guess it isn't like that much better statistically, but the Jets defense just seems to have the kind of like annoying lockdown behavior that can beat a Patrick Mahomes. It can beat a Josh Allen and if you can beat those two quarterbacks, or excuse me, they didn't beat Patrick Mahomes. I'm sorry. They made it 23-20 in a game that flag bailed them out at the end. So, like, they can... My point is that this Jets defense is good enough to make the most elite quarterbacks look like they're not all there. And, you know, they they beat Philadelphia 20-14. They did it to Jalen Hurts. I mean, doing it to the Giants, doing it to uh, Denver, like, it's not super impressive, but I know this Jets defense is damn good, and at 4-3, and three, they're not out of it yet. Like, this is still a playoff team in the making right now, so it's going to come down to just, like, who makes mistakes and who capitalizes on them, and I like the Jets defense way better than the Chargers defense in this matchup. And as good as the Chargers potentially could be, they're going to this game without Josh Palmer, no Mike Williams. So it's Keenan Allen and a bunch of other guys. So you're going to need Eckler to play big. You're going to need Gerald Everett to play big. And then you look at defense like Sebastian Joseph Day is questionable, Eric Kendrick's questionable, Kenneth Murray Jr. is questionable. I just, I don't see it, you know. The Chargers defense has been shit realistically all season. They've been bad. Uh, They give up a lot of yards passing, which isn't like the Jets' forte, but at the end of the day, like it is what it is, and if that's what's available, then that's what you got to do. And the Chargers have the worst pass defense in the game, literally. Dead last in uh, yards per game given up. And their run defense is better, uh, but that's only because it's so easy to pass on them. So, you know... The run defense is going to be sort of what the Jets want to do. But the Jets do have some talent at wide receiver, which helps. So it's Zach Wilson versus Justin Herbert. And more often than not, I would say I got to trust Justin Herbert in this situation because he's the he's the better quarterback. They'll find a way to win. But from what I've seen from the Jets defense and how they've played other good quarterbacks so far and the fact that they got some of their guys back uh, as well, I'm going to take the Jets here at plus three and a half, and we're going to say under 39 and a half. And it's just going to be, I think they're going to force Herbert into some key mistakes. And I think that'll be the difference. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Uh, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. But I kind of like the Jets here. I just, you know, this is a hard game to go into. It's going to be cold out there. It's going to be another spotlight game. This ain't the Bears, though. You know, it's easy to beat up on the Bears, but when the Chargers are faced with a team that stands there and makes them duke it out the whole way, they lose most of the time. To be honest, they do. You know, they lost to Kansas City and Kansas City. They lose to Dallas. 
they beat a, a junky Vegas team. They beat a Minnesota team that I think didn't even have a win at that point in the season. So, like, these, their wins are not impressive to me. Where, on the other hand, the Jets' wins and even some of their losses are kind of impressive. So, I don't know. Let's, let's see what happens, but I'm going to take the Jets. I like the upset here. We'll see. Rids picks. Well, Ridley started the week 0-1 because she went with the Titans. But she's going with the Chiefs over the Dolphins in Kansas City. She's taking the Falcons over the Vikings in Atlanta. Taking the Browns over the Cardinals in Cleveland. She's going with the Packers at home over the Rams. Patriots at home in New England over the Commanders. She's going with her first road team. Well, second road team after the Titans. She's taking the Bears because that's what Bears do. Bears on the road over the Saints in New Orleans. She's taking the Ravens at home over the Seahawks. She's taking the Bucks on the road over the Texans and the Colts on the road over the Panthers. Then going back to the home teams with the Raiders at home over the Giants, the Eagles in Philly over the Cowboys, the Bengals ugh, in Cincy over my Bills. And ending it out with the road game with the Chargers over the Jets. And since we all got to get up early for that Frankfurt-Germany game, you know what time it is. Happy Football Sunday. Thank you to everybody who took the time to listen to this episode. I do appreciate it. And I do believe that word of mouth is still the best way to help. So if you liked what you heard, then please tell somebody. But otherwise, liking, subscribing, sharing, all that stuff helps too. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com. And you can contact me at nick at thescheiss.com or at Scheiss Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and go Bills.